Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we'd ask for soft hearts. We come to you, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to walk in in faith in the word. I pray, Lord, you'll give me the grace to, as it were, get out of the way and let us hear your words and follow you. You are our Lord, our risen one. You are our, our rabbi, and we would be your disciples. Come, Lord, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John 17. We are... Listening to Jesus pray. Jesus is, this is the end of a, of, a, of a full evening. It began in John 13 as he washed their feet and took, served them the Passover meal. Somewhere in that, Judas left and is reporting him to the religious authorities at the temple. They're going to send a Levitical guard to come and arrest him. It wasn't Roman soldiers that arrested him. It was the Levitical guard that came and arrested him, along with some of the priests. And there, that process is underway, and he's been teaching about the Holy Spirit. He's been teaching uh, about abiding in him. He's been, he's been teaching about following and walking in the Spirit, just as he had been doing with the Father, we're to do with him. He'd been teaching those things, and then at the end, he comes to this prayer. And he prays over them, and he prays out loud so they can listen to him pray. And he's praying his heart. He's praying his, the deepest things within him. We looked at the first five verses of this prayer. And there he prayed, said, he said, Father, I want you to glorify me so that I can glorify you. Do you remember this? And, and what he was saying, he was, he was calling in a couple of the Old Testament promises that were for the Messiah. He was saying, Lord, you said that uh, thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. He said, I'm asking you to give me the authority over all flesh so that I can lead them to the knowledge of you, which is eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? He says uh, that promise there out of Psalm 2 we saw was a promise that the Messiah will come and rule, rule the nations with a rod of iron. But he says, he says I'm, going to, I'm going to send out the gospel. And I'm going to rule them from their hearts as much as I can. The day will come I'll rule with a rod of iron, but not now. Now is the time of salvation. Now is a time of mercy. Hallelujah. And he says, you also promised to seat me at your right hand. You promised to, to, to bring me up and seat me beside you in my, in my glory. That I might again uh, through, rule and bring this entire creation into submission to me. And then I will offer it to you as a great blessing and a great gift of my, of my love for my father. And uh, we saw him pray those things for himself. Then in verses 6 through 19, it's which we're going to look at today. He prays for his 11, for those disciples that will be his apostles. These are the men who he has been teaching for the last two and a half years. These are the men who've watched him heal and listened to him preach. They've been following him day and night. He has been pouring into them, preparing them, encouraging them, confronting them, disciplining them, working in them so that they would be able to pass the truth on when he's gone. He's about to leave. And those 11 men hold in their hearts the truth that will save the world. So he prays for them. And aren't we grateful? 
We'll start at verse 6. John 17. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. And now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. Would you say that? I came forth. This is a very profound truth. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf and I do not ask on behalf of the world. But of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. He is praying this from the other side of the cross. He's praying this as though the cross were done, as though the resurrection had happened, and actually as though he had ascended into heaven. He's speaking as the glorified Lord. I am no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Would you say, keep them in your name? name. Which you have given me. That's a very important part of this. The name of, what does he mean? He's keeping us in the Father's name. What does that mean? That we may be one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Would you say sanctify them in the truth? Your word is truth. As, I, as, I, as you sent me into the world, I, have, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Thankful for the truth. Do we realize what a treasure we hold in our hands when we open a Bible? The very words of God were written down and preserved for thousands of years. So that today we can hear them afresh and believe. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible during Israel's exodus from Egypt, probably between 1446 and 1406 B.C. His writings and then those of all the others who wrote the books that are included in the Old Testament were written over a period of a thousand years. During all those centuries, dedicated people copied the texts by hand, word by word, writing on leather or papyrus. They checked Every way possible to see that each word was accurate. Why? Because they were, these were the very words of God. And they wanted to pass that treasure down to you. Would you if you have a Bible with you, and I know you probably got your, your study right there. Would you, would you take your Bible and just hold it there? And if you've only got an electronic device, 
So be it. Hold your electronic device. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Do you realize what a treasure that is? Men and women have, have died to preserve this and to hand it to you. This is not simply a book. These are the very words of God. And God has preserved them and, and watched over them. When I, when I mention those scribes, they're, they're, people have, have copied these letter by letter by hand. They still are doing that. They, they, they've done everything to preserve this and protect this. People have been strangled. People have been burned at the stake. Uh, people have been imprisoned for, for making this available to you. Lives have been given. This started being written uh, over, over 3,000 years ago. And you have the very words of God. We take it for granted, don't we? We just kind of like, that. well, that's the Bible. Boy, that's, that's, you, this is the gift of all the things you and I can be thankful for this Thanksgiving. That God has given us the word of God. That you and I have access to this like this. That we can read it. That we can learn it. That we can study it. What would we do without this? Right now, I, I'm finding my entire source of spiritual life from just getting back and looking at what it actually says. And watching Jesus and listening to him. That brings me life. I don't have I, all these years of, of, of cultural uh, religious accumulation. I can cut right past it and go right back. And read the original documents. What a gift we have. Lord we thank you with all our hearts for this gift. We thank you for the men and women who preserved it. For the people who fought for it. And died for it. So that we could hear the truth. You've given us your truth. That we might be saved. That we might, we might be with you. That we, might, we know how to live. We know how to die. We're so grateful for this. Thank you. This Thanksgiving, our hearts overflow with gratitude that we have been given the word of God. You agree with that? Would you say amen? Amen. amen. You know, people uh, wonder how accurate this is. When, when uh, this, the, in the old, with the Old Testament and scribes, when they, when they are copying a document, they had figured out when they had they had figured out how, what is the middle letter in every line. They knew the middle word on every page. They knew how they, they, they counted everything you could count. They had all these mathematical ways of each page. If there were an error, it was destroyed. When I was went to seminary, uh, I, I took a bunch of Hebrew. I, I actually was doing a master's degree in Hebrew in the, in the Old Testament. And. Uh, I had at the bottom of my Hebrew Bible, I had what's called the apparatus. And it's all of these things, these uh, textual changes that this, this, these various scholars had put in, figuring this is what it should have read or might have read, or this is the other alternatives, all this kind of stuff. And I, I kept thinking to myself, how, how, do they, <laughs> how do they really know that? And, and, uh, but there it all was. But that was all written before they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, this is fun. When we go to Israel, we always go to, uh, to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And we actually see the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in Jerusalem when we go to the museum. 
Uh, but what, what ha- let me tell you what that means. The, before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest Old Testament texts we had were 895 A.D. They were Masoretic texts. And that was the earliest thing we had. I think it was called the Aleppo text. Then, when the, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they're unearthing scrolls that, were, were, that that community was destroyed uh, about, uh, well, the, the, the thing started about 200 B.C. And so here we have texts that are from 200 B.C. and, and even earlier that were found, entire texts of the, of the book of Isaiah, two of them. Uh, every book of the Old Testament except Esther. Uh, portions of it. You have all of these texts that are unearthed and found, and, 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 and uh, they're still finding them, by the way. They just found another cave um, a few months ago. Um, anyway, so they're, they're, all of this. And so what they did, of course, is they compared these texts that were written like 200 B.C. to the, texts that, the text that was written in 895 A.D., to see how many changes, how many variants, how many scribal errors had come into the process of transmission of the texts over, over 1,100 years, right? Virtually none. It was shocking. It was absolutely stunning how accurate that was. So now, that apparatus at the bottom of, the, of my Hebrew text is worthless. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what it tells you? That the people of God have cherished his word and have treated it with the utmost respect. That they copied it carefully because it was the very words of God. It's not a book. It's the very words of God. And they've copied them carefully. When you pick up your Bible, you have every right to be very confident in it. We have thousands and thousands of texts of the New Testament. Going back to the, virtually, just a a few decades after after John's death. They've got got things that are, were probably just a copy of his, his, one copy of his writing. Going that far back in the the New Testament. You have, when you read that New Testament, you're looking at the words of Luke. This is what he wrote. You're looking at Paul's words. This is what he wrote. You're not looking at something. Do you know we only have about seven texts of Socrates? And every, nobody doubts Socrates, do they? Nobody says, well, he never lived. You know, we only got seven texts of him. But you got thousands about Jesus. They go, well, we're not sure. He might have been a mushroom. There was people who said that. I didn't make that up. Wish I had. You have the very words of God that have been given to you and preserved for you. They saw themselves as a link in, a, as a link in the chain of history. When invaders attacked, they grabbed their most precious possession, the Bible, and cradling it in their arms, they ran into the hills and hid it away so it couldn't be destroyed. Why? So you and I could read it. You, do you see yourself as a link in a chain. These people realized that life would not end with them. 
It wasn't just about them. It, that there were children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and generations that would follow. They were preserving this truth for all who would follow. Do we see ourselves like that? Do you realize that if Jesus tarries, life could go on for hundreds of years? I mean, some people, I know, some people say, no, no, he's coming back any day. And, and some of us, he's already late. I mean, didn't he miss a date or two in the last? Yeah, it wasn't long ago. He's supposed to be here. What's the matter with him? So what if, he, what if he delays another 200 years? What about your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? Will you and I be a link in a chain? That's passing this precious treasure on to the next generation. Teaching it to their hearts. Showing them the truth of it. Making sure it's available. Or will we be the end of the rope? The last stop. Are we, are we where it ends? It's, a, it's something that has to come into the heart. And then Jesus came and perfectly revealed the character of God. And died on the cross and for the sins of the world. His disciples watched and listened and wrote down everything they could. I think some took notes as they spoke. And all of them memorized as much as possible. Which was quite a lot. Because their memories were highly trained. They had been memorizing the word of God since they were tiny children. You, you, look, again, I, you've heard me do this before. But this idea that these are a bunch of uh, ignorant bumpkins. These, these disciples is just terrible. Stop it. It is just ignorant. It's, it's, it's ignorant pastors who are bumpkins talking about something they don't understand. I'm serious. It is. When you were raised as a, as a Jewish boy or girl, at age about four, you start memorizing, reading, and learning to write from the Torah. And by the time you graduate from, your, from those, those early stages, you've memorized the entire Torah. And then you go on. As a teenager, and you begin to learn Isaiah, and you begin to learn all these other things, and you memorize the whole thing because you don't have scrolls. They're all handwritten. They're terribly expensive. So everybody's memorizing. So these men can memorize like crazy. They don't, they don't learn how to learn. They've been memorizing all their lives. They know how to listen to him and record it. And they surely realized that what they were hearing and seeing was very special. This too was God's word and must be preserved. Matthew wrote what he remembered. John Mark wrote down what Peter remembered. Luke did careful research interviewing those who were eyewitnesses and wrote down exactly what they told him. And John, the disciple who was with the Lord from the very beginning of his ministry until he ascended into heaven, wrote down what he remembered. Filling in important sections the others had missed. You, you, have you noticed the difference in the Gospel of John? John wrote last. John wrote last. And the other Gospels probably had them. This is the Apostle John. Had copies of them. And he's, and he's thinking to himself, guys, why did you leave that out? Why didn't you tell them about what he taught us that last night? Aren't we grateful for chapter 13 through 17? That's nowhere else. That's John. He's just saying, fellas, why'd you leave this out for heaven's sakes? They've got to hear this. So he wrote it in. Those first chapters of John. If you read the other gospels, it sounds like Jesus sort of came walking by the Sea of Galilee. 
And then they're out fishing, and he just said, follow me. And they all went, yes, sir. <laughs> and got off the boat and followed this stranger on the shore. And you've been heard that in sermons. It's ridiculous. John tells us that they had already been together. They'd, all, they'd been following him since he was down being baptized at the Jordan River. Six of them had. They, in fact, he, they walked with him up to, up to uh, Galilee. And he left them there, then went and visited his family. Came back and said, come on, follow me. That fills in the whole story. It changes everything. John gave us all of this. They were to preserve... I don't know where I left off. Okay, there it is. He, he said... I don't know why either. <laughs> because that was their assignment from the Lord. They were to preserve the truth that Jesus had revealed... So that people all over the world and every generation could hear it and believe it and be saved. As we listen to Jesus pray for these 11 men to whom he was entrusting the gospel. We would do well to be especially grateful to them and to all the men and women who have preserved this truth. Sometimes at the cost of their lives over the past 2,000 years. It was written down, guarded and passed on to their children and grandchildren. So that you and I can still hear it. Without them, we wouldn't know his name. Without them, we wouldn't know that God's son died for us. And without them, we wouldn't know that the father loved us and wanted to save every one of us. We owe a debt of gratitude to a lot of people. But, but none more than those who made it possible for us to hear about Jesus. As we listen to Jesus pray for those, for those first apostles, let's stop and thank God for their faithfulness this year. And for all those who passed on to us the knowledge of the truth. How many had believing parents? How many had believing grandparents? How many had believing ancestors? I mean, you go back and you, you kind of come from a line of, of, of people, right? How many have in your, in your home, in your possession, you have an, a really old Bible that belonged to one of your, your, your family? How many family Bibles? You have a family Bible that's in there. I got some that go back with my grandparents, and they're just falling. I mean, the leather's just falling apart. And then, you know, I'll, go, I'll look in some of those, and there's, there's uh, writing in the margin, you know. I'll tell you who is the real one in my family. It was my grandmother. She, she, was, she was the real meal deal. And my grandfather loved the Lord on my one side, too. How they produced my mother is another question. Um, she just rejected everything. And so we had to go a long way around to find Jesus again. Uh, but, I, you know, I found, I found a handwritten thing. It's old yellowed. Uh, but I'm, I've been going through all kinds of old stuff from my mom's, you know, when she passed away. I found this, just this handwritten note. And it's, it's all yellow. And it was my grandmother writing to her. And she said, uh, I think she was in college. And she said, I, she said, here are the scriptures that are most precious to me. She said, I recommend that you read them every day. You know, read through them and commit them to heart. She said, they'll, they'll, they'll make you strong. And, and, and she has all the beautiful passages. I mean, she's got John 3. She's got the Psalm 91. She's got, she just goes down this thing, just checking off these beautiful things. Do you realize what a gift you have? That you have parents and grandparents who knew the Lord. That you have, you have that history. Some don't have it at all. But God brings his word to us. And we begin to be the new, the new chain. The new beginning. The, new, the Abraham and Sarah of a new household.
It begins with a knowledge of the Lord. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays for these 11 men. They are the ones he selected to accurately preserve the truth he had revealed. He would soon ascend into heaven and be physically gone. But they would remain behind and their assignment was to proclaim what they had been taught. In the course of his prayer, Jesus asked the Father to give them four specific gifts. First, he asked the Father to keep them in your name which you have given me. Second, he asked that they may be one just as we are one. And third, he asked the Father to keep them out of the control of the evil one. And fourth, he asked the Father to sanctify them, which means to separate them from the world into a life of serving God. Though at the time he was asking the Father to give these gifts to men who would become his apostles, his prayer applies to every believer because we too have been selected to proclaim the same truth. Jesus began his prayer by saying to the Father, I revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. You gave to me and to me you gave them. And they have carefully observed your word to obey it. To understand this portion of his prayer, we must understand what he meant by revealing the father's name. Is that name one particular title which has a special meaning? If so, the best possibility may be the title he used in verse 11, which is Holy Father. Because throughout his ministry, Jesus modeled the holiness of God and taught us to call God our Father. But I think he used the word name as it is so often used in the Bible as a way of speaking about the true character or assignment of a person. In other words, when God guides the process, a person's name reveals a deep insight into who that person truly is or what that person is going to accomplish. For that reason, the father carefully arranged for his son to be named Jesus. Hebrew is Jehoshua. For he will save his people from their sins. Remember that? He says to Mary, and he says it also to Joseph, you shall name him Jesus. And to Mary, he said, the angel says, for he shall save his people from their sins. Or that was to, that was to uh, Joseph. Blessed be the Lord. So when Jesus said that he revealed the Father's name, he almost certainly meant that he had shown them the full truth about the Father's character and his plan to save people. In the introduction of his gospel, John described Jesus' revelation of the Father this way. And the word became flesh and tabernacle. That means dwelt in a tent among us. And we watched like spectators in a theater his glory. Glory as of an only begotten from a father full of grace and truth. What Jesus prayed. Those 11 men weren't technically apostles. Because they hadn't been sent out yet. But they would soon, they would be soon, they had been prayerfully chosen, they had been trained for the past two and a half years, and now they were being prayed for by the Lord himself. He deliberately allowed them to listen to him intercede on their behalf. And as they listened, they knew that the words he was praying came straight from his heart. He was praying what was most important to him. And here's what they heard. I've paraphrased his prayer Verses 6 through 19, so we too can understand. All right, let's try to sit, as it were, with those 11 men and just listen to Jesus pray over us. Father, I have shown these 11 men 
your true character and reveal to them your plan of salvation. You led them to me after you had already begun working in their hearts by convicting them of sin and showing them their need of a savior. They now believe that what I taught them is true and that my words came directly from you. I also revealed to them the truth about who I really am, your divine son who came from heaven. And they believed me. Right now, I am praying for these 11 men who have become my followers. You gave them to me, but they actually belong to both of us because everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. Holy Father, when I leave these, these must stay behind to minister in a hostile world. They will be attacked by forces that will try to distort what I taught them and prevent them from ministering together in unity. Those forces will try to divide them from each other and from us. So my prayer for them is this. I have shown them the truth about who you are. That you are a savior who longs to rescue the lost. And now I ask you to protect them so they won't be deceived. To guard their minds so they will be able to continue proclaiming these truths to the world. And to help them humbly speak only what they hear me say. And minister only what they see me do. Just as I spoke what I heard you say. And did what I saw you do. He's saying father keep these 11 men. So that they will pass the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. On to those. What if those 11 men go wrong? What if they say you know. He, Jesus preached this but I think. I just think he was a little harsh here. I, I, I think this needs to be adjusted a bit. What if they took it upon themselves to fix it and make it more palatable? They would have ruined us all. You have to have truth. You have to have truth to be saved. It's not enough to be sincere. You have to have truth. And here were the men who held that truth in their hands. When I, uh, when I took a preaching class in seminary, you know, they call preaching class homiletics. And, and it comes from the Greek word homo legeo, to say the same thing. So your job is to say the same thing. Well, I, I, I think I've mentioned this to you. I had a, I had a, a crabby uh, uh, preaching professor, which is, probably helps explain things. Um, <laughs> But he, 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 he marked my life. I mean, the guy did it. And, and uh, I will never forget, as, as long as I live, um, him standing in front of the class. And at that time, it was, uh, just all, it was all men. And he, he looked at us and he said, gentlemen. And he eye contacted us. <laughs> and he held it. He says, God has already said to the church everything he wants to say. Your job is to let him say it again. And I just thought, yes, sir. I got it. Do you, do you get it? I don't have to come up with something. In fact, I shouldn't. The, the, my whole role is simply an intermediary. All I'm to do is to read this, understand this, and, let, and, and just say it so we can hear it again. That's my job. I don't have to add. In fact, I dare not add to it. 
I dare not take away from it. Think of it when you, when you go to a court, you have to, you, you have to speak the truth, the whole truth, and do you know that if, 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 uh, if I, can, I can speak truth, but not give you the whole truth. I gave you part of it and led you down the yellow brick road, right? It's one of the best forms of manipulation there is, is just tell part of the truth. I can give you the, I can give the truth, uh, the whole truth, or I can give you, and I can give you truth, and I can add to it. And I can give a twist to it. And I can add other material to it so that suddenly it misleads you again. It has to be the truth. It has to be all of the truth. You can't take the parts out you don't like. You can't take the parts out that aren't culturally uh, uh, you know, pleasing. You have to let it speak. You don't, you don't do it angrily. You don't do it meanly. You don't do it self-righteously like you're above everybody else. But you let the word say what it says. Why? Because it's the very words of God. God who spoke them doesn't change. See, this is the thing we have to get a hold of, people. A culture is like a, like a swirling river. It's changing by the year. All kinds of things are just swirling and changing and attitudes are just based on, based on, the, on the moment are changing. But the, this doesn't change. And I will tell you, this will get you in trouble. This is like, it's like, it's like that, it's like a stake in the ground where everything else is moving, but this does not move. And so as time goes by, everybody else kind of leaves you in the, in the, in its wake. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand and let the word be the word of God to you? Because it will make you different. It will make you a peculiar person. You will be different. Not mean, not self-righteous. That's, that's flesh. Not, not angry, but it'll make you different because the word doesn't change. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Our job, your job, my job, is to simply let it speak again. For the past few years, picking up where Jesus was praying, for the past few years, I was always with them to, encourage, to correct or encourage them. I kept these revelations about you and me in front of them. And not one of them abandoned these truths except Judas who allowed himself to grow bitter and fell under the control of the devil. The spirit who ruins the eternal destiny of all those who follow him. The term there in my Bible is son of perdition. That word perdition, uh, uh, Apollo, uh, Apollo me. Uh, we get, it, it means to ruin something, not cease to exist. It doesn't evaporate it. It, it spoils it. It rots it. It, it. it breaks it down so it's no longer worth anything. And so the devil is the one who ruins people's lives and ruins their, their destiny. He doesn't end them. You're going to be somewhere, but he'll ruin it. And he said, this person has fallen and listened to the voice of the ruiner. He's followed the ruiner. The scriptures prophesied that one of my disciples would betray me. And sadly, Judas became that person. Judas was not predestined to do that. He was not. uh, God did not want him to do that. God didn't stick him in so he would do it. Judas was bitter. The scriptures knew it was coming. But it was Judas's responsibility. Father, I pray these things out loud. So they can listen. In the future, when times get hard. 
They will remember this prayer and know in their hearts that I am rejoicing over their faithfulness. I've entrusted to them the message you gave me. And those who hated me because I preached that message will hate them just as much. Because this message demands that people quit pursuing the pleasures of this world and pursue instead eternal life with God. In spite of all the trouble they will face, I don't ask you to take them up into heaven so they can escape. They must first fulfill their assignment to proclaim these truths so that many can be saved. Instead, my prayer for them is that you protect their minds from being deceived by the devil. So no distortions or lies, especially about you or me, Father, will enter into what they teach. Especially about what you, about the truth about you and about me, Father. Would you turn with me, if you've got your Bible there, to 1 John chapter 4. This is the same John that wrote the gospel we're reading right now. John, there is nothing, you, you cannot be wrong about Jesus. You cannot, there are not a broad range of possibilities as to who Jesus is. And when you distort this, you go right at the very heart of the gospel. And I want you to see John, who's, who's listening to this, he's, he's there being prayed over, then years later will write this letter. To the churches, and, and look what he goes after. I'll start at verse 1 there. John, 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's talking about false religious teachers within the Christian church. People who've gone out into the church and are teaching distorted doctrines. Now let's see what he focuses on. Let's see what it is. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that, what? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, believes that Jesus is the divine Son who came from heaven and became a man. Every spirit that confesses that is from God. Every spirit, verse 3, that does not confess Jesus, in, in this Jesus... This truth of Jesus is the spirit of what? Antichrist, which you heard is coming and now already now is in the world. Every, I believe John wrote this gospel to correct people who were distorting the person of Jesus. What were they saying? Well, we can tell from the book of Hebrews, they were calling, some were calling him an angel. And you realize there's whole groups that do that today. They think he's the archangel Michael. See, he's a created being. He's a created spirit. Great guy. Uh, one whole movement thinks he's the brother of Lucifer. They were brothers, and he's the good brother, and Lucifer's the bad one. And so you've got that kind of thing. Uh, you've got a, a oneness movement that went through Seattle, and it still lingers, uh, that it was just like a cancer in our soul, in which Jesus is uh, just God the Father pretending to be the Son, and then he's the, is one person sort of playing three different roles. That's the spirit of Antichrist. It's not just a another take on things. It's not just a small matter. It is the spirit of Antichrist. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come from heaven 
as the son of God and become a man among us. The, the essential Christian truth above everything else is that God hath begotten a son and given him to us as our savior. Do you understand? That's Christianity. That's the heart of our message. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Not raised up a really good man. Not put on and uh, you know, kind of himself came down and did this thing and then gave it. All of that's nonsense. It's not just nonsense. It's the spirit of Antichrist. So Jesus is praying over these 11. He's saying, Father, don't let the devil deceive them. Don't let the devil distort in their minds this truth about you. You're a good God. You're a loving father. You're a savior who longs for the, for the most sinful in the world. You, 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 you have sent your son for us. And don't let, them, don't let them be distorted about who I am. I am your beloved son who's come and walked and taken on human flesh. That I might bear the sin of the world and atone for them. That they might be forgiven. Don't let that be lost, Father. They have already become righteous by faith and will inherit eternal life. After Pentecost, they will have within themselves the power of the age to come. They will be living in this present fallen age, but ministering in the realities of the future kingdom of God. Just as I have been doing for these past few years. Father, separate them from this world and call them to a life of proclaiming the gospel. Soon I will commission them and send them into the world just as you commissioned me and sent me into the world. I have already done what I am asking you to do in them. I separated myself from the world and obeyed your call even to the point of dying on the cross. And now my obedience has made it possible for them to do the same. He's praying his heart out. For 11 men, that they will not distort what he's given them. And they will pass it on to you. And brothers and sisters, they did not. Not one of them distorted that truth. Not one of them taught a different gospel. Every single one of them, every single one of them was persecuted violently. Only one wasn't killed. One died a natural death to our knowledge, and that's John. Though they had apparently, the, the, the tradition tells us they tried to boil him in oil. And he didn't boil. And he, he just he got right back out. And uh, they then put him on a prison island. You know, if, if I try to boil you and you don't boil, <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you a free pass and a, and a, and a, and a uh, gift card to Starbucks. <laughs> I am, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting you on a prison island. That's a pretty hard-nosed somebody who did that. Peter, I've told you, uh, refused to renounce the Lord and was crucified upside down. Uh, after watching his wife crucified, she stood right with him. You know, she traveled with him. She's, part of the, she's a silent part of that team. So she's crucified. He watches her die, cries out, remember Christ. And then he... He's crucified upside down in the Roman circus. Thomas, who we often make fun of, you know, we say, oh, pfft, Thomas, doubting Thomas, he, he, he. But Thomas was a, was a machine, man. He carried the gospel all the way to India. 
and died full of arrows. To this day, you can go to India, and there are, there are Thomasite Christians. They go all the way back, centuries back, to St. Thomas. Matthias, the one they elected, you know, and put in at, in between, he went to Ethiopia. Uh, they, 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 James was beaten with laundry bats to death. They sent a bunch of thugs, and they beat him while he was preaching to death with laundry bats. These Hey, not one of them said, hey, hey, we were just kidding. You know, you, you want to say Jesus is one of, the, one, of God, one of the gods? You want to say he's, you know, go ahead. It's all right. We just, it, not one, not one would recoil. I just, I grabbed this book. I just thought I'd have a look and I just opened it. I didn't do anything more than that and opened it and found it. It's called Search for the Twelve Apostles. It's an old book by William Stuart McBurney. And it just records the various uh, traditional things of how each one died and where they were and all. It's quite, it's rough reading. I just opened and here it is of Andrew. I thought, well, let's see what happened to Andrew. Here's what I read. There are some impressive traditions about the later ministry of Andrew. One recorded by Eusebius, very reliable church historian, uh, is that he went to Scythia, which is in southern Russia, in the area around the Black Sea, St. Andrew was known for a long time thereafter as the patron saint of Russia. And this adoption of Andrew as the holy patron was based on the early tradition that he had preached the gospel in Russia, early apocryphal works. Apocryphal means uh, not in the Bible. Uh, agree. Uh, and he, he gives some, some listings of those. Said he was stoned and crucified. Um, an, a, another strong tradition and he, the author actually says these all can fit into the same, by the way, uh, places his ministry in Greece. There, according to tradition, he was imprisoned, then crucified by the order of the proconsul Agites, whose wife Maximilla, Maximilla had been estranged from her husband by the preaching of St. Andrew. In other words, uh, the, 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 the proconsul's wife becomes converted. And she becomes a Christian, and then they fight over it and all. Uh, supposedly Andrew was crucified on a cross, which instead of being made like the, one, like the one upon which Jesus died, was made in the form of an X. To this day, that type of cross is known as St. Andrew's cross. So St. Andrew uh, was possibly crucified on, a, on, an, on an X kind of cross for his faith. Are you grateful for them? Men who wrote down, who taught, who stood firmly in what their Lord had taught. This prayer worked. It took. Not one of them flinched. Not one of them taught us anything but the truth. Let me be, let me be really clear about something. You'll hear people use the word apostle today. You know, so-and-so is an apostle. I don't know if you've ever been around some of those. That's a little bit uh, weird. Uh, but it is what it is. There are there apostles. Well, if you mean church planting missionaries, yeah. Uh, as a, and I'd call them a church planting missionary and kind of leave that word alone. But if you mean they're on the same level as the eleven who gave us our faith, you'd be very wrong. They're not on that league at all. These were selected. These were trained. These were prayed over. 
These were instilled. These watched him, listened to him, wrote down, memorized. These are, these are the ones Jesus said, I want them teaching my faith to the world. That level of apostle, that level of, of authority is some, belongs to, to them alone. To them alone. And we, they're still our apostles, people. Matthew and Andrew, and they're still your apostles. They're still the ones who teach us. They're still the ones through whom we were told to trust and to listen to. And everybody else, you've got people with, who have various authorities and various, they're church planters and they, they, they're mature, Lord, that's great. But they're not on their league at all. They're in a fo- totally different camp. Let's look at without truth. Without truth, there is no salvation. A person doesn't have to know all the truth to, to do that. To do that, they would have to understand the entire Bible. But in order to be saved, a person must first come to the true God, not a false one, not a demonic spirit disguising itself as an angel of light. And then a person must repent of their rebellion toward God, of their independence from him. That's the word I would use for pride and their selfishness. Those three categories will contain many sins That need to be confessed. But above all there must be a deep decision to turn away from rebellion. Pride and selfishness. To follow after God as his humble servant. Did you follow that? There is no salvation apart from repentance. And repentance isn't simply being sorry for bad things you did. Repentance is a deep turning in the gut, in the heart, in the very center of you that says, I am no longer Lord of my own life. See, the very essence, the very essence of of sin, you can see it in, in, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were told to leave a fruit on a tree. The tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and the the temptation was, if you take that fruit and pick it and eat it, then you will be like God, knowing good from evil for yourself. In other words, you will now decide what's right and wrong for yourself. You'll be the Lord of your life. They seized it. If you leave that fruit on the tree, then he will decide what's right and wrong, and you and I will, will submit to it. Nobody. Nobody is going to heaven hanging on to that, that fruit. It goes, that's how we lost our walk with God in the first place. It is the root of the whole mess. The, tr- the, the fruit has to go back. You have to say, God, you're in charge. What you say goes. What you say is right is right. What you say is wrong is wrong. I bow my knee to you. I surrender to you. I submit to you. I trust you. You are the holy one, the good one, the righteous one. And I'm not. And I surrender to you. That's, where, that's the very beginning of everything. They must know that he is a just God who has made it possible. Oh, pardon me. I missed an important statement. And finally, a person who wishes to be saved must believe that God will atone their sin. Would you say atone their sin? Not ignore it. They must know that he is a just God who has made it possible to forgive us, not an amoral God who doesn't care what we do. Make a clear distinction. There's a huge difference between two words. Between tolerance 
and mercy. God is not tolerant. Tolerance means I don't care what you do. You do your thing, I'll do mine. There is no value. There is no right or wrong. I leave you alone. Just do your thing. God is not tolerant. He is merciful. Mercy says I hold a standard. There is a right and there is a wrong. When you violate that standard, I will be merciful and forgive you, says God. I will I'll bring you back yourself. No matter how you fall, I will clean you up and put you back. But the standard stays in place. What's right is right is wrong. And what's wrong is wrong. Our God is not tolerant at all. He's merciful. He's holy. He's just. And he's kind. He's both. This is what makes the difference. Without those basic elements, there can be no salvation. But thankfully, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a full revelation of these truths. We are told who God is, who we are, and how God made a way to forgive our sins. This is the full truth that Jesus taught to his disciples. This is the truth that the devil hates with a passion and tries to stop in every way he can. Which is why we owe so much thanks to those who passed this truth on to us. When you're reflecting on what to be thankful for, you might include this list. Thankful to the Father. Because he sent Jesus to show us exactly who he is. A holy Father full of grace and truth. Thankful to Jesus. Would you say thankful to Jesus? Because he resisted temptation and refused to sin. Because he humbly submitted himself to become a man and then die on a cross. Because he spoke the truth and was willing to suffer rather than to stop. Number three, thankful to the 11. Would you say that? Because not one of them failed their assignment. And all but one died violently because they refused to distort the gospel. Because they listened and watched Jesus carefully and wrote down what they heard and saw. Because they didn't start teaching different doctrines and split the church. Thankful to our fathers and mothers in the faith. Would you say that? Who preserved this truth over all these generations so that we can still hear it. Number five, thankful to the person who spoke that truth to us. Would you say that? Because it was through that man or woman that the gospel arrived at our ears and the Spirit was able to reveal it to us. Can you remember who first told you the truth about God? Who introduced you to who He is? And to the message of salvation. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember who it was? When, when it suddenly struck your heart. And you realized. Oh I know who he is. And I know what he's asked of me. What a gift. I, I think of. You, you can go places where people have no idea. They don't know how. I had, I, we, had a, we had a family one time come by. and They, they talked to this one family. And this fellow says. I can tell something's different. He said. I don't know anything about this Jesus Christ. Would you tell me about him? And they came and said, what do we say? <laughs> tell them the truth. <laughs> you know, tell them the gospel. So we, we, we walked through it. Tell them this. Because this truth is what will save you. Thankful for the foundation of God's word. Would you say that? Because we're not left to wander through life with no sense of right or wrong or, and dreading what death might mean. Because God has given us the very 
his very words to be our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Our response. Now the questions that face us after all we've heard are these. Will I faithfully pass this truth on to the next generation? Will I refuse to allow the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints to be distorted or, or forgotten? Will I be willing to pay the price before many before me had to pay in order to preserve this truth? In other words, will someone someday be giving thanks for me? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.